Now on this Monday evening, the time is ten o'clock. And now we come to the radio crossword, a series of programmes with squares in mind. I expect you all have the blank crossword in front of you, but if you haven't, you'll find it on page six of this week's Garden Shed Advertiser. <laughs> As you can see, it's a giant crossword, which means it's rather more difficult than usual. Except, of course, for giants. Anyway, to get you off to a good start, we're going to help you with the answers to one or two clues. One across. Curiosity killed for blank. Twelve letters. <laughs> That's an easy one, of course. Curiosity killed the hippopotamus. <laughs> Twenty-three down. Too many cooks spoil the blank. <laughs> yes, well, we've given that one away. The answer is, of course, blank. <laughs> Fourteen across. Much-loved family of BBC fame. Much-loved family of BBC fame. <laughs> and the answer is the Daleks. <laughs> I'm sorry, I'll read that again. There's a misprint there. The Dales. <laughs> Although I don't know. I am worried about Jim. <laughs> This is, I'm sorry, I'll read that again. Approximately 30 minutes of cryptic cluelessness, written by several four across and featuring a number of 18 down. Come in. Good morning, good morning. Now I've got it. Ah, it's you. I don't want any singers, dancers, or comics. Yeah, well, I've got the very act you want. Yeah, they all say that. Oh, well, I have it. It's my brother. Yeah. Picture this. There he is, standing on the stage, with his hair alight, right? Eating red hot coals, right? Standing in a tank of boiling tar, playing Ruby Tanning on the xylophone. How about that, then? I see. How much? One thousand plus expenses. Ten thousand quid? You must be joking. Well, he's got partners to think about. Partners? Yes, and there's danger money. Danger money? Look, me boy, if he didn't like it, he shouldn't have gone in for it. No, he didn't go in for it. What do you mean? No, he's held in position by me and his mum. He doesn't actually like doing the act. <laughs> well, that's daft. Ah, oh, one more thing. Get this. He's only three foot four. Blimey, a dwarf. Dwarf? Dwarf nothing, poor little fellow. He's only seven. <laughs> and now, over to a lonely spot. Thank you, Spot. <clears throat> a blasted heath in the home counties. The good people of Yorbury and Surrey <laughs> will be sleeping behind locked doors and bolted shutters tonight. And they all say it's because of this man here, Mr. Smith. Why are the local people so afraid of you and your friends? Primitive fear of the unknown. <laughs> I see, but, you know, since your arrival, several domestic pets, uh, cats and dogs and so on, have disappeared. Have you anything to do with all this? These animals have no place in our plan for the reorganization of your planet. You know, I can see a big metal rocket ship in the field behind you. <laughs> Which the local people say spoils the view. <laughs> Has this anything to do with you? We came in it 
But where have you come from? We came through infinities of time and space, the hulls of our rocket ships glinting silver and gold in the light of ten million nameless stars as we sped at infinite velocity from our home, the planet Zelda, in the 51st Federation of the Galaxy Alpha Centauri. <laughs> Well, you're not tired after your long journey. We have been conditioned so that we shall not rest until the whole of your planet has been subjugated or, if necessary, destroyed. But what have the local authorities to say about all this? <laughs> Nothing as yet. I notice that you're very tall. You must be all of ten feet high. Why? A preliminary, a preliminary skirmishing force of midgets like myself have been landed. Our main invasion party will arrive soon. May I now make this appeal to the citizens of Earth? When our invasion armada lands on your planet in order to ensure your personal safety and the future continuance of your race, it is imperative that you all go I'm and... I'm sorry, but time seems to have run out. <laughs> well, I don't know what to make of all this. Do you... But one thing seems pretty plain to me. The good people of Yubre will be sleeping behind locked doors and bolted shutters tonight. Or will they? Good night. Come in, lad, and use the door this time. Open it next time. <laughs> Shut up! Sorry, sir. Right. What have you got in your mouth? Huh? What is it? Huh? Spit it out. <laughs> I thought so. Put it back in the bowl. With the rest of the goldfish. <laughs> now, I want to have a serious talk with you. Ah, yes. It isn't easy because I'm in a silly mood. <laughs> However, your mother, my wife... Your cousin's auntie, Uncle Charles, and a lot of other people are coming to tea tomorrow. And we're going to enjoy a nice, noisy afternoon with the family. Oh, that'd be nice. So don't think you can sneak away to church like you did last time. <laughs> you evil little beast. I'm sorry, Father. Stop wiping your filthy nose on that nice clean handkerchief. I'm sorry, Father. Where do you pick up these dirty habits? Have you been spying on me? Yes, Father. Don't deny it. I distinctly saw you look at me during dinner. All right, I'll take that. Don't use that language to me. You know I don't understand Italian. I'm sorry. Now, the Watsons are coming around this evening, so I want you to behave properly. I don't want to have to lock you up in the fridge again. No. I didn't enjoy that, you know. It's just that I always laugh when I'm excited. <laughs> you can have one glass of Worcester sauce, and you mustn't let people see you're afraid of your father. No hiding in the coal scuttle. That's right. And remember, it isn't funny to stuff a cream bun up someone's nostril. No. Unless it's your own. <laughs> or your grandmother's. <laughs> and when Mrs. Watson says goodbye, I want you to kiss her on the cheek, understand? Yes. I know she's very tall. That's no excuse for what you did last time. <laughs> now, off you go. <coughs> Stop. <coughs> One more thing. Mr. Hargreaves tells me you've been seeing a bit of his daughter. <clears throat> Which bit have you been seeing? <laughs> yes, uh, well... I shall have to have a serious talk with you about that one day, sure. when I'm a little older and understand more about these things. That's right. Oh, and um, do you think you could introduce me to your sister someday? Why? And now, spot the difference. Cuckoo. <laughs> Did you spot it? 
Well, the difference was that last time, Spot went... I'm looking for a house pet. Are you really, darling? Uh, no, actually, I, I... I think I've made one of my silly mistakes. Oh. Never mind. We can clean it up. <laughs> no, 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 I mean, I'm looking for somewhere to live. You see, at the moment, I'm in a tiny little room. Oh, a box room. Well, more of a room box, actually. <laughs> I, I tried all the housing agencies, and then a friend of mine told me to come here, but it can't be right, because all you've got is a load of animals. No, you have come to the right place. Oh. This is our new rent-a-pet scheme. Oh, yes. A lot of people can't afford both a house and a pet, so we combine the two. I say, what a wonderful idea. Yes, I got the idea from the tramps. I expect you've seen them filing into London Zoo just before closing time. They never come out, you know. Well, not till morning, that is. They live inside the hippos. No. Yes. Do you know how much spare room there is inside a beast like that? Well, I've never really thought. Well, neither have I till I went in to have a look around. There's only a few kidneys and five or six miles of intestines, and they're terribly spread out. So what we do is heave them all into one corner, get rid of any uh, unnecessary furnishings like appendix or tonsils, and divide the rest up into flats. Come to think of it. I, I did notice a new rhino springing up by Marble Arch. That's not one of yours, is it? Yes, that's right. There's four families of West Indians in there. <laughs> Good Lord, well, what, what have you got for me, then? Well, if it's just yourself, there's some very nice bed-sitting rabbits. <laughs> or you could be very cosy in a kangaroo, if you don't mind sharing. Well, I, I, I had thought of living on the river. You haven't got a houseboat, have you? Yes, we have some converted gnus. They're great fun, because you can paddle your own gnu. <laughs> you may have read about them. Oh, yes, in the newspaper. Uh, yes. <laughs> I say, you, you haven't got a, a little wooden yak with a nice thatched hoof, have you? <laughs> or, or, or a camel or something like that. You've got a camel. Oh, no. You need something big. Spacious and simple. <laughs> like an elephant or Exactly. Oh, have you brought one in? Well, if you look up, you'll see that we have. Would you like me to show you round it? Uh, would you? Certainly. <laughs> this way. No, come back, sir. We never go in the back way. <laughs> we always go up the trunk. It's further, but it's prettier this way. Uh, leg up. Oh, in you go. <sighs> A bit of a squeeze, isn't it? Here, let me pull you through. Oh. Oh. That's it now. I turn the light on and up the trunk on the spiral staircase. You can get an escalator fitted if you prefer. It's rather narrow and it's a long climb, but there's a magnificent view from the top. Two more and there we are. Oh, that's fantastic. What a view, what a view. Oh, yes, it's rather impressive, isn't it? A... a bit like the Grand Canyon, so I believe. It changes colour as he opens and shuts his really, mouth. Really, That's marvellous. He, he must go back quite away, doesn't well, he? Well, they do say that Charles I hid behind that left kidney. Is that a fact? They say he got in through a secret passage, but we've never found it. <laughs> but anyway, you can see there'd be plenty of room for you and your family in here. Yes. The stomach needs relining, doesn't it? Oh, well, we... uh, yes, but we can do that for you. What, what's the plumbing like? Oh, the drainage is excellent. I mean, it has to be. Yes, I suppose uh, it does. And we're putting in hot and cold water tap ears and a wash bison over there. Oh, and it being an elephant, of course, there are four umbrella stands. <laughs> right, I'll take it. A jolly good. Oh, just one thing. Could you hang a small cage over there by the esophagus? Certainly. But what's that for? Well, I'll need somewhere to keep my pet bungalow. <laughs>
And now we present another song in our series, Music You Laugh At. And this week's guests are those pulsating impersonators of pop, Lord DeLump and the Dirty Knights, having a go at the folk singers. Sometimes hit and they sometimes miss. But if they had gone to college and gained a little knowledge, then the folk songs that they sung would come out more like this. If a Bob Dylan had been sent to Eton and there he had learnt how to sing, though it might have been a shame, he'd have had to play the game. And we sure you, dear Bob Dylan, sing in this sort of thing. Jolly, old in weather, get out on the river, babe. All pull together. Don't you shiver, babe. <laughs> but if you're feeling seedy and you want to give up the fight, don't think twice, it's all right. <laughs> If that young singer Donovan to Eden he had got I bet the songs he sings would sound like this Like as not Jolly Bolt in weather Don't sing it twice Oh, all right are a very fine group, Kate Bellas and Alas. But you should have heard the literary gems when they sang them in the poetry class. Hopperly, hopperly, hopperly onward in the valley of death club they'd sing in the bus and they'd sing in the pub and you'd hear in the showers this lovely refrain cause nina and frederick are at it again four and twenty virgins came down from Inverness And when the ball was over There were four and twenty us The vicar's daughter, she was there She had us all in fit By jumping off the mantelpiece <laughs> Oh, there's an educated fellow with a style of his own And he wrote the greatest folk song that the world has ever known
we meet you again. Oh, don't you have no fear. Here's the words you want to hear. It's goodbye from Lonely Lump. Until the next time when. digging then. <laughs> What's it look like? It looks like a grave. That's right. Who is it calling? Well, me, of course. No, not, not feeling too well. Oh. well. I feel fine, as a matter of fact, but there's no sense in waiting until the last moment now, is there? <laughs> That's true. <laughs> but why are you digging it in your back garden? <laughs> well, a front garden's not big enough, is it? <laughs> no, I mean, I mean, why not have one in the churchyard? Oh, well, you see, I'm an agnostic, you see. Oh, I see. <laughs> and there isn't an agnostic church for miles round here. <laughs> a bit wide, isn't it, for a grave, I mean? Yeah, well, of course, I've got to leave room for Florence. That's the wife. Oh, you, you want her laid beside you when her time finally comes, eh? <laughs> no, no, not really. She's coming with me. Eh? <laughs> uh, she's she's going to fling herself on me coffin as they pile in the earth. It's an old Babylonian custom we read about. What a... Alive, you mean? Yes. Well, in Babylon, they was heavily drugged, I believe. But the chemist won't let us have any heavy drugs. <laughs> no, he's, he's awkward, Mr. Hardcock, yes, wasn't yes. he? Very awkward. Yeah. You've been having me on, haven't you? Pulling my leg. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> it's not really a graveyard digging at all, is it? Oh, of course it isn't. <laughs> I'm making a little fish pond. I'm very fond of fish ponds, is Florence. <laughs> well, you really had me going for a minute, I must say. <laughs> <laughs> Just my little joke, you know. <laughs> Here, Florence! Yes. Come out here a second. I want you to lie down and check it for size. <laughs> That's very strange. Where's a ghastly old busker I usually meet about this time in the programme? Ah, I hear him. Now, where are you? Come out. Come on out, you filthy old man. I won't hit you hard. Good heavens, where did you get that disgusting old coat? I picked it up in Carnaby Street. <laughs> How long had it been lying there? Only a month or two, I should think. This is my gear. Oh, I see. And why are you wearing it back to front? It's my reverse gear. <laughs> if you can't tell better jokes than that, I'd rather you bored me with one of your... Calling songs. All right, I will. All right, I will. Oh, well, fabulous day, Well, I'm, go I'm going to do a work song, and I'll sing, and you will hear all the sounds of the workmen at their work. And how shall I hear that? I brought along six navvies, two carpenters, four bricklayers, a scaffolder, and an engine driver to accompany me. All right, lads, keep it light and sensitive. <coughs> Ta. Oh, good heavens, goodness me, lordy, lordy, how I work, yes I do. Oh, I'm just going to sing a work song. Oh, yes indeed, I'm going to sing a work song. When I'm working, I just can't help singing a work song. Everybody sings a work song, and the men work when I'm singing. Oh, yes, here I go, singing a work song, working all day and night. Oh, is it fun, what you sing all the time? Sing, sing, I go. Listen to the men work, 
sing again. I've never sing. No story has been told quite so often or quite so badly as that of the struggle between the armies of the early American settlers and the red man, or rather red men. <laughs> we all love an old story, so here it is again. <laughs> we turn back in the book of American history to a page torn out long ago. We found it in the most extraordinary place. <laughs> it tells of the Battle of Whispering Mouse, a battle that seems to have been forgotten. We want to know the reason why. It had absolutely no bearing whatsoever on the course of the war. Oh. Well, anyway. <laughs> this is the story of that battle. A survivor of the Yankee forces was Lieutenant Busby Pintle, he does not sound like a Yankee because he was an Englishman and because David Hatch can't do an American accent. <laughs> Pathetic, really. <clears throat> now, to help us tell our story, we are indeed fortunate to have secured Busby Pintle's very diary. And very diary it is, too. <laughs> My adventure began in London. When I boarded the ship on May the 3rd, 1821, I did not realize what I was doing. Never had the number 29 bus seemed so slow. <laughs> and it was not till I was thrown overboard some six weeks later onto a coral reef that I suspected my mistake. My faithful cat, Beethoven, was thrown after me. To tell the truth, I was glad to be off the boat as I was heartily sick of it and all over it. <laughs> it being only my fourth voyage and... <laughs> Beethoven's fifth. <laughs> I waited on the reef, relieving my boredom only by feeding Beethoven to the sharks. I waited until at last a large merchantman floated into sight, and then together we both waited for a ship. We were in wretched condition when a sloop caught sight of us, and even worse when a clipper actually stopped to investigate. The third ship actually took us on board. And so I was set upon terra firma. And three months later, I decided to enroll in the American army. It wasn't easy since I'd landed in Africa. <laughs> At first, I was a raw recruit, but they soon found me some clothes. And I joined the artillery. But fate was against me. On my first rifle inspection, I was discovered with a dirty magazine, which the Major confiscated and added to his collection. <laughs> From that day forth, we remained the closest of friends, and I was made a lieutenant. Patiently, he began to teach me the ways of soldiering. Is Pintle, what is it? Sir, I want you to help me find my feet. Where did you last see them? <laughs> no, sir, I want to fight for you. Oh, that's very kind. Right then, Pintle, go out and bring us back an Indian. Yes, sir. <laughs> Excuse me, sir, how do I recognize an Indian? By his feathers. The next day, I came proudly back from battle with three partridges and a wild turkey. <laughs> and so I learnt by my mistakes. <laughs> now I joined in the fighting. But I believed that Indians were still really Americans. And so to me, it was always a civil war. Excuse me, sir. I wonder if you'd mind if I hit you with this club. No, not at all. Do carry on. <laughs> Thank you so much. <laughs> <laughs> On May the 15th, 
15th, our enemies and ourselves were camped some 500 miles apart. By the 20th, we had marched 120 miles to the east, and they had marched 170 miles to the west. By the 26th, we had marched 250 miles to the east, and they had marched 260 miles to the west. On the 30th, we both turned round and tried again. <laughs> Two days later, we were camped at Whispering Mouse, when they surprised us. Lieutenant, Lieutenant, there's 2,000 Indians crawling towards us on all fours, wearing straw hats and singing Land of Hope and Glory. <laughs> oh, that's surprising. Very well, strike camp. Oh, cheeky thing. <laughs> Private camp, there's no time for that now. The enemy are coming. Get the cannon. It's no good. We've run out of powder. Mm, it's all right. You can borrow mine, Ducky. <laughs> Thank you. You haven't got a nail file too, have you? Lieutenant, they're a-coming. Right, boys. Bugler, sound the alarm. <laughs> that should get them up. Right. Into battle. It was at times like this that old Sergeant Horsemeat used to comfort and inspire us with tales of the old heroes of the West. And he was real men, not like you lily-livered, bow-legged, yellow-bellied, cowardly lot of layabouts. There was the great General Custard and the great backwoodsman, Daniel Prune. <laughs> known throughout the West. <laughs> known throughout the West as Prune and Custard. <laughs> I remember at Ladysmith we'd been bottled up for six weeks, but Prune and Custard relieved us. <laughs> They was real men, not like you trembly-fingered, dirty, rotten, chicken-livered, crotchety old pansies. Ah, the Indians will murder you. Ha <laughs> ha, Jim Lack. How he retained his sense of humor, we shall never know. <laughs> On June the 1st, we engaged the enemy. And by June the 3rd, the battle was fierce. Oh, only engaged two days and fighting already. <laughs> It was at night that everything seemed so frightening. Right? Light show! Pinchel, look out the window and see what's happening. I think I hear something. Yes, yes. It sounds like the scouts returning. Shut up, you fools! There's people trying to sleep around here. <laughs> A few hours later, dawn crept over the hill. Darling, I thought you'd never come. Darling. Darling, I can hear drums. That's just my heartbeat. No, no, listen, it is drums. It's all right, I know why. Why? I've forgotten my next line. It's... 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 <laughs> we shall never know. Major, Major, here they come again. Right, boys, stand by, bugler, blow your nose, and use a clean Yankee. <laughs> Major, Major, listen, the Indians are charging the cavalry. Right, that will be seven and six, please. <laughs> It's ridiculous. It's the wrong accent, and it's far too much money. There's only one hope. What's that? Bob Hope. I mean, Wild Bill Hiccup. I've sent him for reinforcements. 
Major, Major, the Indians have got Hiccup. How do you know? You can hear them a mile away. <laughs> and so the battle raged with irrepressible good humor. Sergeant Horsemeat kept up our spirits. Ah, you mealy-mouthed, weak-kneed old cripples. They'll carve you to pieces. <laughs> We tended to our casualties as best we could, but our surgery was primitive. I'm afraid we'll have to give you a blood transfusion. Here, drink this. Is that... is that whiskey? No, blood. <laughs> By dawn the next day, there were still 1,500 fighting Apaches in the field, whilst our force was down to seven men and the company's pet goat. But they still had a surprise for us. They're giving up. Yes, look, the Indian guides are coming towards us. <laughs> worse than ours. Look. He's holding up a white flag. Right then. So that's their game, is it? You hold up a white flag too. Right. There we are. Right now. Which is whitest? Theirs is. Careful do they do it. Pinkle, what's that coming towards me? I think it's a message with an arrow attached. <laughs> Why did they have to do that? There's 1,500 of them and seven of us. What's it say? Please, can we have this arrow back? It's the only one we've got. <laughs> and with that snatch of the signature tune of I'm Sorry, I'll Read That Again, we close the saga of Whispering Mouse, the smallest epic never made. Featured in the cast of thousands were Tim Brooke Taylor, Graham Garden, David Hatch, Joe Candle, Bill Oddie, and a cast of thousands. The writers were Graham Garden, Johnny Mortimer and Brian Cook, Bill Oddie, Peter Vincent and David McKellar. The songs are written by Bill Oddie and Graham Garden and the music by Dave Lee. I'm sorry I'll read that again. It's produced by Humphrey Barclay. <laughs> be another edition